Welcome to Biblical Insights. Uh, today we continue our series, Moments with the Masters. <clears throat> we are continuing to look at personal encounters the Lord Jesus had while he walked here on the earth. <clears throat> Most of the personal encounters that Jesus had while he was here on earth ended gloriously. Most often the people who met Jesus were healed, saved, and eternally changed. However, not every meeting ended so gloriously. In our text today, we're going to present, or we're presented with a man who had a personal encounter with the Lord, but it ended tragically. I would like to look at this encounter because I fear that there are many people attending churches across America who are in the same condition as this young man. They want to be saved. And they feel that they are. But they have no understanding of what genuine biblical salvation is all about. Well, in this passage, the Lord Jesus tells us in no uncertain terms just what it takes to be saved. I don't know where you stand with the Lord today, but I do know that if you're not saved, you need to be. And you need to hear, and you will hear, how you can be today. If, for some reason, you have been misled about your salvation, then you will hear how you can come to know that Jesus today, the creator of this universe, the one who sustains and keeps this universe spinning and not spinning out of control into chaos. All I ask is that you let the Lord speak to your heart. And if he calls you to come to him, then I want you to come. Let's look together today at another moment with the Master and consider a tragic moment. So the man and his desire. This particular encounter is mentioned by Matthew in Matthew 19, verse 16 through 22. And it's also in Luke, in Luke 18, 18 through 23. And of course, here in our text that we're looking at today in Mark 10, 17 through 22, all three of the gospel writers add additional detail concerning this man who has come, who's come to be known as the rich young ruler. For the sake of our study, it would be, it would be time well spent to get to know a little, just a little bit better who this man was. So first, the, all three evangelists tell us that he was a rich man. Matthew tells us that he was young in 
Matthew 19.22. And Luke tells us that he was a ruler in 1818. Not the year 1818, but Luke 18, verse 18. This probably means that he was a ruler in the synagogue. When all the facts concerning this man are considered, it becomes clear that this young man had many things going for him in his life. So he has youth. Youth is a wonderful thing, which I don't have that anymore. But there is no better time to give one's life to the Lord. Ecclesiastes 12.1 If you were young and unsaved, let me challenge you to come to Jesus today. Don't waste your life. Don't burn the candle for the devil and then blow the smoke of a wasted life in the face of God someday. Come to Jesus now while he can use you for his glory and make something special out of your life. Second, he had wealth. This young man has plenty of this world's goods. In verse 22, now there's nothing wrong with having money. Money itself isn't evil. It is when money has you that problems begin to creep in. 1 Timothy 6.10 So, again, it's not the money issue, but if the money has control over you, that's issues. He has morality and religion. And religion. This man is living a clean, moral life. Notice that Jesus did not rebuke him when he claimed to have kept the commandments. Outwardly, This man's life was clean and pure. That is a wonderful thing. It ought to be true about every person listening can say that. Next, he has position. Luke says that he was a ruler in Luke 18.18. As I said a moment ago, this probably means that he is a leader in a synagogue. He is a man of some influence in local religious circles. That, too, is a good thing. For every outward appearance, this man was the ideal young person. He was everything a mother might want her son to be. Probably clean-cut, religious, industrious, morally clean. He was the envy of everyone. The problem he carried... In spite of all the things or all of that he has going for him, this man had one mighty big skeleton in his closet. In spite of all that he had, he still had an itch that he could not scratch. He had found that this young, this this youth, that his youth, left him unsatisfied. His money had left him feeling unfulfilled. His morality, his clean living, and his religious activity had not been able to satisfy the deepest longing of his soul. His swift climb up the rungs of the social ladder 
had failed to give him what he wanted most. And that's peace with God. Are you seeking that? That peace with God? And if not, why not? If not now, when? So, he comes with haste to Jesus. He falls down before the Lord and he cries out to Christ. Maybe there are some people listening right now that are in the same shape as this young man. From every outward appearance, you've made it. Life has been good to you. You have a little money. Maybe you've climbed up on the social ladder a little ways. Maybe your name is well known and you're well thought of in your community. Maybe you're a good person who's living a clean, moral life. Maybe you're a church member, a leader, a teacher, and everyone thinks your life is complete. But in spite of all you have, there is still something missing in your life. You know, you know you have what it takes to live, but you also know that you are unprepared to die. Think about that for a second. You know you have what it takes to live, but you also know that you are unprepared to die. You have everything you want and need materially, but you do not have that spiritual peace with God. Everything looks good on the outside, but the insides are all messed up. If that describes you, then keep listening because Jesus has a word of hope for you, for you and me. The confusion. As this young man comes to Jesus, he gets several things right. Notice, he comes to the right person. He had evidently heard of Jesus and knows that if anyone can help him, Jesus can. We will say more about that in a moment. He comes in the right way. He comes running because he knows the urgency of the situation. Note, nothing in life is as urgent as your salvation. Let me repeat that. Nothing in life is as urgent as your salvation. Nothing, nothing, nothing is more important than that. Life could end at any moment and you need to be sure that you are saved. He also came kneeling. This shows that he recognized the fact that Jesus is worthy and that he wasn't, that he is not worthy. Not Jesus, but the young man. When you do come to him, you will come to him as a broken person. It won't be fun and games, but there will be an understanding that you are a sinner and he is holy. There will be a desire to become low before him. We are talking about the master of the universe. 
the one who has created all this. So when we come before him, we need to come before him with the respect, the reverence, the awe that God Almighty deserves. We take that for granted today in our church. We throw his words around. We throw his name around. Use it as a vile cuss word. Think about that. He comes for the right purpose. This young man came to Jesus pondering the issues of eternity. He had the most important things on his mind and on his heart. Here's a man who has it all. Yet with all his power, his possessions, and his privileges, he still does not know the answer to the greatest of all questions. He knows a lot of things, but he is forced to admit that he does not know the way to heaven. Sound familiar? Note, we live in the midst of the most sophisticated and intellectually advanced cultures in the world has ever known. Yet people still, still do not know the answer to the most basic and important question of all. People do not know how to be saved. Man can spit, split atoms, put men on the moon, harness the power of the sun, wind, and the rain, but he doesn't know how to get to heaven. Thankfully, Jesus had the answer for this young man, and he still has the answer for you today. We will come to that in just a moment. So, if thoughts of eternity in heaven and how to get there are bothering you, then hang on. Because Jesus tells us exactly what we need to know in this passage. This young man comes at the right time. He came when Jesus was nearby. That is a, that is a mistake many make. They think that they can come to Jesus at any time. They think that they can come whenever it fits into their schedule. The truth of the matter is somewhat different. Man doesn't come to the Lord whenever he wants. He comes to Jesus when Jesus is passing close to him. That is why the Bible says, what it does in Isaiah 55 6 and John 6 44 you never come to him when you want you come when he is calling you you come when he is passing by while the man gets several things right he gets the main thing terribly wrong notice notice his question in verse 17 good master what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Think about that for a second. Listen to the question again. Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? 
Matthew's account puts it this way, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? Matthew 19, 16. This man knows he has a lot of good things stacked up in his corner. He seems to think that if he can just add some other good thing, then he can have salvation as a reward. There are two basic problems with this question. First, he thinks salvation can be earned. In other words, he is looking for a do-oriented salvation. What must I do to have salvation? He wants to have a hand in it. He wants to be involved. He wants to get his salvation like he has gotten everything else in his life. He wants to earn it for himself. No, many people still believe that salvation is based on do. What must I do to be saved? They've got to do something to get it. Be it join a church, get baptized, teach Sunday school, preach, give, become a moral person, stop sinning. Well, that's good for everyone, but... And the list goes on and on and on forever. The Bible tells us in no uncertain terms that salvation is never about do. Ephesians 8 or Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, Titus 3, 5. Salvation through Jesus Christ is always about done. Not do, but done. When Jesus died on the cross, he said, it is finished. He he did it all. And there is nothing you and I can do to add to it or to get it on our own salvation or to get it on our own. Salvation is and was achieved by Jesus when he died on the cross and rose again. It is received by us when we accept what he did by faith what he did by faith on our part. Salvation has never been about what we can do, but has always been about what he did. So the Philippian jailer had the same questions for Paul and Silas in Acts 16, verse 30. So the jailer asks, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Paul's answer to him was that there is nothing more to do but to believe. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Nothing has changed. If you want to be saved, you must rest in done and forget about do. Second, he thinks salvation is a reward. He seems to think if he can just do good enough things, then God will give him eternal life as a reward. Friends, salvation is not a reward for faithful service. It is a free gift of God's grace. We could never, never do enough to reach a place where God would reward us with salvation. Heaven does not have a green stamps plan. Salvation is not a reward for service, but it is the gift of grace. John 10, 28. More will be said about that 
and about this grace in a moment. The confrontation, when Jesus hears what this man wants, he responds in an unusual manner. He confronts this young man in two specific areas. He confronts him regarding the person of the Savior. When this man called Jesus good, Jesus reminded this young man that no one was good but God. This was designed to make this young man consider how he viewed Jesus Christ. Jesus Was Jesus just an elevated teacher, as the words good master imply? Or did the young man say that he believed Jesus to be God in the flesh? Obviously, this man only believed that Jesus was a good teacher. That is one of this man's problems before he or anyone, for that matter, (coughs) he can be saved. They must come to the place where they have a correct understanding of who Jesus Christ is. He is not just a good, moral man. A teacher sent to show us the way. No, he was far more than that. He is God in the flesh. He is not a way shower. He is the way. He is not a true dispenser. He is the truth. He does not point out the path to life, but he himself is the life. It's John 14, 6. Friend, do you know who Jesus is? He isn't just another stop on the scenic road to heaven, which so many people think and carelessly, lackadaisically think who Jesus is. I myself was one of them. He is the only hope you have of salvation. 1 John 5, 11 through 15, and then John 8, 24. Finding out who Jesus is is one of the primary elementary steps in coming to know him. Second, he confronts him regarding the problem of sin. When Jesus reminds this young man that only God is good, he is trying to get this moral young man to see that he is a sinner. When Jesus rattles off this list of commands, it isn't to imply that salvation comes by keeping them. Jesus is trying to get this man to see that he is a sinner. He wants to extract a response from this young man that shows he understands what salvation is all about. Apparently, this young man believed that salvation was just something else he could add to his resume. But Jesus wants to see, or wants him to see, that he is a sinner, and as a sinner, he has no ground upon which to stand before the face of God which some of us think we do. We can't stand before a holy God in in who we are. I mean, there is nothing 
we can do. I'm sorry, Allah, or people who follow Allah. I'm sorry, people who follow Joseph Smith. Well, the path you are following is a very broad one, and I think the Bible calls that the road of at least a destruction. Let's just say that one and be nice about it. Finding out who Jesus really is, we need to find out who he really is to understand how salvation is attained. Jesus wants him to see that regardless of what he may possess materially, he is morally and spiritually bankrupt. When this man responds to Jesus, he declares that he has kept the law and has not broken it. It is interesting that Jesus doesn't disagree with them. It may be that he is clean outwardly, but Jesus is trying to get him to see the condition of his heart. And this young man never does. As far as he is concerned, he has arrived spiritually. No, this is where most people are, isn't it? It's a scary place to be. But this is where most people think that they are. They take an external, superficial inventory of their lives and think that they are all right. They say, I don't beat my wife. I don't abuse my children. I don't run around. I don't drink. I don't pro I, I provide for my family. I'm a pretty good person. And after all, compared to some people, why I'm almost a saint. Have we heard that before? Maybe not in those exact words. But I'm sure we know people, <clears throat> hint, hint, wink, wink, like maybe ourselves, that have been there. Do you know what's wrong with that? The problem with people and their relationship with God is not what they are outwardly. It's what they are inwardly. The heart of the problem is a problem with the heart. Say that again. The heart of the problem is a problem with the the heart. Man is a sinner. He can clean up the outside all he wants to, but he is still a sinner. You can wash a pig, perfume him, and put a ribbon around his neck and he looks clean, but you turn him loose and he'll head straight for the wallow and he'll be just as nasty as he was 10 minutes ago. Why? He's a pig, and that's what pigs do. You can take a corpse and comb its hair, put makeup on it, perfume it, and it looks pretty good. But it'll still rot and decay. Why? It's a dead corpse. And this, that's what dead corpses do. They rot and decay. A sinner may turn over a new leaf, and look good outwardly. He may be a moral, clean, hardworking person, 
but he is still a sinner at heart and needs a savior. That is what Jesus wanted this young man to know, and that is what he wants you to know as well. Notice the love and compassion in the heart of Jesus for this young man. Jesus still loved this young man regardless of his sins and regardless of his improper understanding of the things of God. And friend, no matter where you are today, he loves you too. As proof of this, Jesus tells this young man how to be saved. It is this message that we all need to hear. Jesus tells him to do three things. First, sell his possessions and give the money to the poor. Jesus isn't implying that salvation is earned by giving away our material possessions. He is merely placing his finger on the root of this man's problem. He loved his money more than he wanted God in his life. Jesus is saying, if you want me, you can place nothing else ahead of me. By the way, that is still the message of the gospel today. While many are preaching easy believism and telling lost sinners, oh, you can come to Jesus and hang on to everything you love in the world, too. Jesus says, if you aren't willing to turn your back on everything for me, then you can't come to me to be saved. Sounds harsh, and it is but is still the message of the gospel. Nothing else will save. Second, take up the cross. The cross was symbolic of death. To take up one's cross was to go to one's death. Jesus is saying, if you want me, then you have to die to yourself. In other words, your loves, your goals, your desires, your plans, everything you have must be given up if you want to come to Jesus. That is a message you don't hear much today. Preachers tell you to come to Jesus just as they are. They say, you don't have to change a thing, dress like you want, live like you want, do whatever you want to do, just pray a little prayer and everything will be all right. What a lie. That's foolishness. The modern church today, come to Jesus on your terms and live as you please. Jesus says, if you want to come to me, you have to die to yourself. And you will do that. And if you do that, then I will live through you. Which describes the salvation you have today. So third, Jesus. So follow Jesus. Here is the crux of the matter. This young man has been following power, prestige, position, and possessions. Jesus says, you turn your back on all that and you follow me. That is how you get eternal life. 
This is still the call of the gospel. God says, Look unto me and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. Isaiah 45, 22. The demands of the gospel are clear. You must forsake your sins through genuine repentance and embrace the Savior by faith. This and this alone will save your soul. Romans 10, 9. Some will say, but preacher, if we make it sound so hard, people won't come. We have to make it easy for people to be saved. My answer to this, we cannot make it any easier than God has already made it. Romans 10:13, John 6:37. But we must also tell the truth about the matter. If you think you can have Jesus on the one hand and hold to the world with the other then you're dead wrong if that is what you have then you don't have salvation you have nothing more than religion and you need to be saved my friend our duty to this generation is not to make the gospel easier to swallow, which you have these mega churches today. That's all it is. When was the last time that you heard some of these mega preachers on TV mention sin in your life that you're a sinner and you need to be rep- you need to repent and turn away? from that lifestyle. There's churches today that are embracing the homosexual lifestyle that it's okay. Same-sex marriage is okay. That there's more than one way to get to heaven. That Jesus is not the only way. Then my friend, what is the Bible for? If it is not Instruction, if this is not God's word telling us what we must do, what we must do to be saved, it's very clearly written in God's book, in these 66 books. If this is not true, then we are damned to hell. There's nothing we can do. If these aren't true, and if you start believing these false lies, we're toast. You have these mega preachers that just tells you love will win. That they won't call out these sins, that homosexuality is wrong, They won't call out these different behaviors. Or you have these mega churches like the LDS church that the Jesus you're believing in, that is not the true Jesus of the Bible. You are following a deceitful lie. Billions of people Millions of people. I don't know what the number is in the Mormon church. 
millions, possibly billions of people are damned to hell because they don't know about genuine salvation that comes only from the true Jesus of the Bible, not some made-up individual. We cannot make it easier to get to heaven. I mean, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. What does the Philippian jailer say? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You have to get rid of what he said right here. We have to get rid of our past behaviors. Lord's working on me. We have to get rid of these things. We can't live with one foot in the world and still expect to go to heaven. I want to see my brother someday. I want to see my mom and dad someday. But if we live half in and half out of this world and not get rid of this junk in our lives, then we will never see our loved ones who have passed on and then, and has inherited the kingdom. We just won't. So again, it's not our duty to make the gospel easier to swallow, but it's to tell the world the truth. I still believe that when God speaks to hearts, shows them their condition and draws them to himself, they can come to him by faith. Here's the saddest part of this entire encounter that this young man had with Jesus. This young man makes his decision, but it's a tragic decision. Let's notice what he did. He made an earthly decision. He chose his possessions over Jesus. He loved his money more than he wanted to be saved. Notes. No, Jesus will allow you to make that same choice. It may not be money. It may be pleasure, some sin, your family, your independence, etc., 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 whatever, whatever it is, anything other than, anything instead of, anything in front of, before Jesus. If you want it, He'll let you keep it. But ask yourself this question. Is it really worth more than my soul? Whatever is stopping you from wholeheartedly, 100%, just I am in all the way for Jesus. If there's anything, ask yourself, is it really worth more than my soul? Friend, nothing is worth more than your soul. He made an eternal decision. One day this man's youth faded and was gone. He retired from his prestigious position down at the synagogue. Finally, age and disease overtook him. 
and even his vast wealth couldn't prolong the inevitable, and he died. When he died, he found out that his religion and his moral lifestyle were not enough. When he died, he found himself in hell, lost forever, because he had walked away from the only hope he ever had, Jesus Christ. He had a face-to-face with Jesus, and he walked away. Finally, what do you do with Jesus in this life? Or what you do with Jesus in life, in this life will determine what he will do with you in the afterlife. Has he called you to follow him? What was your response? Did you forsake all to go after Jesus? regardless of the cost? Is he calling you now? What will you say? Will you come to him and be saved? Or will you go away from him to continue to live without him? And maybe one day to die without him? It is decision time. What will you do? In verse 21, Jesus summed up this young man's dilemma with these words. One thing thou lackest. This man had everything, but the most important thing. He had everything, but he lacked Jesus. Does that describe you? Do you have money? position, youth, beauty, health, education, or anything else you can name but still lack Jesus? Friend, you don't have to go another minute without him. Today is the time of personal encounters. Jesus is speaking to hearts right now. Don't let your encounter with him become a tragic one day. Don't walk away from Jesus. Come to him now. Make this a glorious moment and not a tragic moment someday. God bless.